Hello, my name is Stephen Dunn, and you're listening to the Hellenistic Christendom Podcast, Philosophy for Understanding Theology. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Hellenistic Christendom Podcast, where today I'd like to provide some thoughts surrounding the moral argument. Now, to perhaps the surprise of some of you, um, I should admit that, really, in my opinion, the moral argument is if not the worst, definitely one of the weakest arguments for God's existence, at least um, as to how modern conceptions of the moral argument tend to go. Because, of course, you have arguments which are more metaphysical or ontological in character, looking to the ontological foundation as to how moral norms and values are grounded and etc. And then you have the epistemological sort of moral arguments, which are kind of their own sort of heady philosophical flavor. But I always like to kind of provide some broad considerations around the moral argument if I'm going to offer an argument as such. So let's kind of make an argument, if we can, based on several observations. So let's say that these observations are rational and broad. For example, we can tell the difference between a good and a lesser good. Now, maybe there are some instances when two goods are not so easily distinguished. So let's let's suppose instead that there are two situations one involving a clear good and one involving a clear evil. Now, by clear, I mean to say that there is no ambiguity in a thing's being good and a thing's being evil. This is evidenced by the fact that we have differentiated them in the first place. Moreover, this differentiating of goods is real. So, let's say really two things about moral behavior. The first is a primary question that needs to be asked, and that is, is the moral behavior in question appropriate? Is it the right thing to do? And the second is a more gnomic um, sort of principle, if you will. That is, an action is morally good if the, imper- if the person's intentions are good. So let's consider four different possibilities given our question and that sort of principle considered. The first is a deed that is a right act and a morally good action. Second, a deed that is a right act and a morally bad action. Third, a deed that is a wrong act and a morally good action. For a deed that is a wrong act and a morally bad action. Now, someone under that first consideration, uh, a right act and morally good action, could, under a good motive, want to give money to charity. Now, someone under the second sort of distinction, a deed that is a right act and morally bad action, could perform a right action but was brought about by a bad motive. Uh, I save someone from dying because I want to gain fame or glory or etc. Now, someone under the third court category has pure motives, but is nonetheless performing a morally wrong act. Um, I wish to bestow a gift on someone which inadvertently hurts them in the process. Something like that. Uh, Someone under that fourth consideration would perform a morally wrong act with bad intentions. So telling a lie to hurt someone's feelings, for example. Now, ask this question. Which of these would be the most preferable course of action? I suspect you might say the first sort of distinction, that is, a deed that is a right act and a morally good action. But then suppose I were to ask you to select the next best kind of behavior. Well, which would you pick and why? Now, let's suppose that this differentiating of behavior and of goods entailed that there is a hierarchy of goods. This is because more or less goods can only be known by comparison to what is most good. And this is like saying that we cannot know something falls short of that standard unless the standard is known. So let's suppose this premise. The maximum of a kind is the cause of the rest of that kind. 
If there is a standard of good, then all other instances of comparison are merely participations in the good. Nothing is intrinsically good in itself. A thing is only good insofar as it shares in the nature of the good. Therefore, given the truth of that premise, the maximum of a kind is the cause of the rest of that kind, the following is true. There exists a most perfect cause, by whom the standard owes its being. Now, this little argument has started with the basic and rational observation that goods can be graded or differentiated or put on a spectrum of hierarchy, if you will. Now, if one follows this path of reasoning long enough, the conclusion follows that there exists a most perfect cause because the good must be grounded in an unchanging and personal foundation. The most perfect cause could not be changing and finite, all the while accounting for objective sort of universal moral facts and norms and etc. Now, the, the most perfect cause also could not be impersonal, like a mere concept or number, since these don't cause anything. Now, let's consider an objection. This argument supposes that there is a better. Is it not the case that any qualification as one thing being better than another is purely subjective? Aren't the gradation of goods bound by opinions and personal perspectives? Well, the reply to this is that this, this demonstration, or this objection, excuse me, um, kind of demonstrates my point further. Was it better that you raised this criticism as opposed to not mentioning it at all? It seems that you chose one of the other, um, considering one would serve some better purpose than the other, right? Well, let's consider another objection. There may be some objective moral facts, but these are only apparently objective and not actually real or not actually so. Morality is absolute in a sort of unqualified way. Well, let's think for a moment of the definition of justice. Justice can be defined as the basic Aristotelian notion that, that justice is where situations where people receive their due. Now, let's understand distributive justice, on the other hand, as receiving some good or burdened apportioned to human persons. So, for example, a woman dies and legally disperses her estate, inheritances, and etc. to the rightful heirs among her family. Hence, distributive justice typically occurs when equals are treated equally and unequals are treated unequally. However, according to one philosopher, Ronald Nash, quote, this knowledge won't get us very far until we discover some moral principle that will tell us the relevant respects on which equal and unequal treatment would be based. So the idea here is that there is some self-referential sort of appeal to a standard, to a most perfect cause that accounts for the existence of the moral order as such. And that, in my opinion, is a little bit more of a rigorous moral argument that we can kind of craft out of Thomas Aquinas's fourth way, for those of you that are familiar with your Summa Theologiae or your philosophy of religion in general. Um, and that, I, I think Thomas Aquinas offers a better moral argument than um, his modern successors, um, loosely speaking. So, of course, as we know, the moral argument today, it really stems from Immanuel Kant in suggesting that our knowledge of God is really more based in the area of practical reason than it is of theoretical reason. But nonetheless, God must still exist within the area of theoretical reason um, because he has a kind of pragmatic function, um, so to speak, and men coming to a moral understanding of their lives. So uh, I would do away with that completely. I don't agree with that at all. Uh, of course, that's kind of my haphazard um, summary of Immanuel Kant's moral argument moral argument. But nonetheless, that's today's episode. Very brief, very quick, uh, very easy. Um, thank you so much. As I always say at the end of these videos, God bless you. May God keep you. And be sure to follow the page at WordPress if you aren't already. Um, Hellenistic Christendom by Stephen Dunn. Also at Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. So be sure to check all that out and share as you see fit. So thank you so much and God bless.